Welcome to the Medical Mnemonist Podcast, brought to you by Med School Coach. Each episode, take a journey into the top techniques for medical mnemonics, study skills, board exam tips, and accelerated learning in higher education. Now, here's your host, Chase DeMarco. So I'd like to welcome back my friend, Anthony Mativier from the Magnetic Memory Method. He was on about a year ago for newer audience members, in case you want to go back and check around episode eight and nine, I believe. And he has a lot of new material to discuss with us and just some good advice to get us over our own obstacles. So Anthony, how are you doing today? Chase, my man, thanks for having me. It's uh, great to hear your voice again. <laughs> it's always great to have you on and to chat with you. And for the audience that isn't as aware, I started off a lot of my initial mnemonics training with your materials, with your podcasts and blog, YouTube videos, all of these free materials you have available. But you also have courses, uh, free course and for paid courses for anyone that wants more training in specific avenues and really just a lot of material out there for those that want to get better at their own mnemonics training. And and I think that's something we're going to talk about here today since one of the biggest complaints I receive and probably you as well is just the obstacles that students run into. Mm, yes. And sometimes they're biological reasons, sometimes psychological reasons, but none of them really hold water as legitimate excuses, especially when you really understand what the memory techniques are, what to do, how to use them, and how frequently to use them. Because <laughs> Nothing's going to happen without practice. No shoes get tied. No hair gets combed. Anything, you know, we've got to practice. It's it's just as simple as that. And it's the most rewarding practice I've ever found in my life. It is a really fun practice. I am constantly learning new things. And uh, well, I guess we should just kind of get into it. Pre-warning for the audience, there's currently a thunderstorm going on where I'm at. So you're probably going to hear some thunder, rain, other kinds of commotion on my end. I'll try to mute my mic as much as possible. But let's start off with some of your new projects. What have you been working on? What's going on on your side? Well, I recently released a book called The Victorious Mind. And there's been a TEDx that sort of hangs together with that. Basically, I memorized the intro and the outro to the book and gave that as a talk, which was quite interesting because I never give talks that way. And it was the first that I ever stood in front of an audience and recited pretty much verbatim a memorized talk. Normally, I memorize acronyms for my talks and just follow patterns through memory palaces. And I just know the stuff generally very well, but I don't have a clock and, you know, a a captive audience that is impatient for their next speaker and, you know, get to the point kind of thing. So that was quite interesting in terms of choosing the elements to put in the script and then deliver from memory. And the new book, of course, is not just about memory techniques, but also about putting in meditation so that people can use the memory techniques and just seeing again and again and again that concentration and intention span is so low for so many people that getting started, they don't even see the instructions on how to get started. Their minds are that fried. And that's why I wrote the book was we can solve this. Meditation is huge. I don't think I would have learned the memory techniques as well as I did without meditation having pre-existed in my life. And so I I put together a a book just on that topic. And I've read the book. There's a lot of useful information and direction there for anyone looking to especially learn about meditation and memory improvement through different mind practices. Very interesting topics you discussed there. And I think as we're going to get 
to some of the more book-specific information in a little bit, maybe we should start off with the audience that might be new, might not have listened to our past interview or be that familiar with the topics we're going to discuss. Start with some of the basics, just what is a memory palace? Well, it's a spatial mnemonic, basically. So a mnemonic is a word that just means memory technique, something that helps you learn. And a memory palace uses space. So you could take a playing card and have each of the four corners be used to create an association. So if you had to remember a name like Chase, for example, you could have Chevy Chase on corner one of the playing card. And then if it was, what's your last name? DeMarco, right? So then I would be starting to think of who do I know named Mark and how can I get that that D sound at the beginning? And I might think of a Dagerio guitar or something like that in the hands of my friend Mark. And I would place that on the second corner of the playing card. This is uh, what a memory palace is. We don't normally use playing cards. We use rooms. So corner one of a room, corner two of a room or the walls and so forth. And you can use the buttons on your jacket or whatever. The point with the memory palace is that it's about space, laying out information in space as association level number one or the base level. And then the next thing would be something like Chevy Chase to help me remember your name, for example. And that image is connected to the corner of a room or a book or a playing card. And when I think back to that corner, I can say what's happening there. And if I don't remember Chevy Chase, or I mistakenly think that your name is now Chevy, I've got to fix that somehow. But nonetheless, that's probably not going to happen because of the magic of this. But there's little things you add to make sure that the imagery that you link with the location helps you get back the target information. And indeed, I've already done them because I chose CH words for Chase and D words and M words. And I'm just digging into the alphabet and basically sewing the alphabet into space. And that is how memory techniques work and how the memory palace works. And everybody has a zettabyte of information storage power in their brain, which means you never run out of space. And there's more to be said on that, of course, but that's the, that's the core basics of it all. I think right there is a couple mistakes or misinterpretations that people often make is that a memory palace has to be a house or a room or something like that. It's any location, really. And it's okay to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. And you can go back and tweak them later and see which ones are stronger, which ones need to be altered to suit your needs. So the biggest hindrance and these excuses are really just preventing you from trying, from practicing, from improving your skills. And we all face them. I mean, some people have talked about the brain structures involved in this and the insular cortex seems to be one of them. We, We are rigged to have a pain response to anything that looks like hard work. And you specifically have these magnetic memories, the magnetic method. What is it that makes your style magnetic? Well, there's a few things. I always wanted to know, how is it that these ancient people memorized entire books? What are they doing? And why aren't the memory competitors teaching that? Because I first encountered, as many people do, books by memory competitors. And I just thought, this this cannot be. And you would look at their two pages on memorizing vocabulary, and they don't write with particularly big vocabularies. And they 
don't seem to be speaking different languages ever. So there's got to be more to this. And so I looked into the history and I realized that there's a huge gap and a division between the techniques used for techniques used for knowledge that you want to hold on to. Now they're tied at the hip. They're similar techniques, but how you use them and how you think about them and how you apply them is quite different and how you prepare for them is different. Because nobody goes around memorizing thousands of digits and needing to recite pi. Nobody wants to listen to you do that, right? But you will want to be able to speak a language or deal with complicated terminology that is used to help with decision trees in medicine. And you're going to need something different than that. So magnetic, first of all, is what is the actual material that like a or the training that you can go through that like a bridge magnet will allow you to take a complex term, stick it in place and be able to remember it when you need it in the same way that you use a fridge magnet to hold your tickets for the date of the concert. And you can just go there and there they are reliably. And magnetic also has a second function, which is that magnets repel at the same time as they attract. So how can we just use this technique itself? to focus on the information that matters. And so here we get 80-20 rule thinking, and we get a very specific use of serial positioning, primacy effect, and recency effect, which govern how we memorize things. And it is a design of using the memory palace as a recall tool, so you no longer need the memory palace, but also designing the memory palace so that you're focusing on the right information that you actually need not the fantasy of what you want. And that's where a lot of people get stuck and they don't have a magnetic life at all. (laughs) They have a torturous life in which they can't repel unwanted and unnecessary fantasy thoughts. And they can't just focus on what really matters so they can get ahead, pass exams, et cetera. Yeah, I definitely see how the skills used by champions and in championships are very different than those of us outside, those of us in school, those of us in work, just the skill sets are going to be very unique to each circumstance and sometimes trying to read material from someone else that is specifically trained in like a championship, for instance, is going to be somewhat conflicting because the techniques they use are different. The reasons they need to use them are different. The types of material they're using it on is different. So I do find it very interesting to compare and contrast notes. And so you can take some of those tools, but then kind of tweak and convert them into different things that would be more useful for your needs. But I guess your material was my first introduction to kind of expanding on memory championship techniques and using them in everyday life. So that was very interesting when I first came across it a few years ago now. The other thing is we seem to have this misconception about memory and a lot of people discuss this in different ways, but sort of the most common concern or or excuse you hear is that I have a bad memory. And I've heard your discussions on this several times in the past. And would you be able to sum up sort of (laughs) your best answer for someone that gives you that excuse? Yeah, I have a bad memory too. And it's just not not an excuse. It's just humans have bad memory. And what we do is we show up and change it or we don't. I've never shied away from the mistakes that I've made, even as a person, memory techniques. I just take it as a given that I have a bad memory. And so what are we going to do about it? And the way that we do something about it is we learn the techniques to improve it. 
And then when we make mistakes, we study the mistakes without an emotional attachment. And then we do better by shifting, pivoting how we're doing things. And that's something that, I don't know, I struggle with memory too. That's why I started this whole exploration about almost two years ago now. And the benefits from these memory training, I think are several fold. It's not just about having a better memory on certain things or being able to be better at this topic or on this test, but it really just increases your creativity and the motivation, the enjoyment when going over certain material that otherwise, as much as flashcards can be useful or something along those lines for studying, it's not always the most interesting thing to do. So I think there are multiple reasons that someone even claiming that they have a bad memory or something along those lines should explore these a little bit more and try to use your materials and other um, memory podcasts and all of these different materials out there to really get better at their memory and have fun studying. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the whole thing about having fun studying is since when is fun a requirement of anything? There's a problem there. It, it shouldn't be reliant on fun. You're going to have a lot more fun when you can let go of the need to have fun. Push-ups aren't fun, but you can get started. Then the whole fitness routine in which that push-ups are embedded becomes something more like fun, but that the individual first push-up should be fun. This is just not reality. And, you know, if your mind is so weak that it needs to have fun every second, then you're a dopamine addict who needs to put the internet away for a good solid week and really reflect on the nature of reality, maybe read Meditations by Marcus Aurelius or something like this and, and give your head a shake because fun should not be the thing that your entire life hinges on. Yeah, fair enough. I would think that uh, having fun kind of can increase your motivation a little bit, at least your intrinsic motivation when studying. No, because motivation doesn't exist. Motivation is not real. Motivation is not the core driver upon which we should premise our life. You can't. It doesn't work. It, it's, it relies on a, a willpower sort of uh, fantasy that then leads to self-punishment in the mind, right? If you are choosing to be a medical student, then your whole world is going to be filled with all kinds of problems to solve. If that isn't motivating enough, then you just need to, as I say, get off the internet for a week and do some soul searching because this shouldn't hinge upon your motivation. It should be a given that this is what you want to give your life to for the benefit of others. If it's about you and you needing to be motivated, you're in the wrong world. This is about others, not you. You have some interesting philosophies when it comes to learning, studying, memory. That's not philosophy. It's, 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 it's not philosophy. It's anger at the <laughs> lack of, you know, just basic common sense that, you know, people think that they have to be motivated and have fun all the time. There's such a higher payoff when you have you out of the picture. And that's what Victoria's Mind is really about, is getting rid of this idea that you have any, any payoff with fun and motivation or anything like that. This is about paying attention to how you can serve the world without the need for these things that so many others are uh, being dopamine spiked by all the time. Uh, you do go into a lot of similar conversations in your book and about free will and other topics that are way beyond the scope of, of this podcast anyway. 
but you also cover some topics that are more uh, like productivity based and different techniques and habits to get into that you can become a more effective learner, journaling for one or habit stacking. What are your current thoughts on those topics? How do you utilize them when you're studying something, uh, language or uh, for us, medicine or oh, there's the thunder again. <laughs> Beautiful thunder. And by the way, if people who are interested in memory techniques, they should instantly think thunder, Thor, you know, something TH word. I'm sure there's a lot of TH words in medicine that they could be associating right now. And they could remember back when they come to the next TH word that they got to memorize. Oh, wow. I heard this episode. The thunder was going on. And you, you now have memory tools. This is how the techniques actually work. It's just paying attention to what's happening and grabbing those little moments that seem like nothing and starting to connect them, right? So I'm not aware of all the medical words that would start with TH, but I'm sure there's a, a lot of them. Think of the drug thalidomide. Thalidomide, right. Wasn't there a problem with that at one point? Thalidomide babies. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So Thor, Thunder, and you go deeper. Like, like this is how the techniques work. You go deeper, Thunder, and then you maybe think of ACDC. Thunder, da, 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 and you get a sound image going and so forth. So that's just a more practical thing that people can start doing. And in terms of the willpower and habit stacks and so forth, this is the important thing where if you don't feel sort of motivated and you feel that motivation should be the driver for you, then you need to build systems that make all of that irrelevant. And that's what a habit stack is. So I didn't feel like meditating this morning, but I have a habit stack that just requires that I do. And really within two minutes, I was like, well, this is the most amazing meditation ever, right? How could I have, you know, not wanted to do this? It's just the way the brain is, right? I'm reading a book right now. I don't particularly want to read it, but it's part of the mission. And so I started to read it and wow, this is the most amazing book ever. Like this happens again and again and again. And there are books that I end up reading that they're not the most amazing book ever because of this, but they're part of the mission. And so it's irrelevant whether I wanted to or not. This is what I think a, a lot of people are struggling with is they have no sense of purpose. They have no sense of structuring their day themselves. I mean, I know I sound like a hard nose, but this shouldn't be the driver motivation and so forth. Systems that get you towards your goals is what should be the driver. And if those goals aren't motivation enough, change the goal because I write really big books. And the next books that I want to write require me to read hundreds of other books, literally hundreds of them. And I don't want to read all of those books, but the mission requires it. And so my motivation and willpower is irrelevant. But what works is a calendar and a stack of books and a notebook and just showing up day after day, reading it, whether I like to or not. So what would you say to someone that maybe they don't have all of their goals set? They join medicine, but there's so many different specialties. They're not sure which one they want to go into. So maybe they're a little divided, especially earlier on in their education. Then the motivation to get through the material right now, not knowing if it's going to be useful to your ultimate goal, your ultimate specialty or something like that. It seems like it could be a little confusing, a little conflicting even. Well, and I, and I hope that it would be because no one says that you get to have the magic answer, but you can call up the doctors who work in those specialties and ask if you can have an information meeting with them to learn more. You could 
find out what biographies were written by those doctors. I think there's a doctor named Henry Marsh. Could that be? And he wrote a book called Do No Harm. I remember reading that book and I thought, man, I'd never, I'd never want to be a brain surgeon, right? Because I read his book about that. But another person might read that and go, wow, I really want to do that. I'm really super motivated by that. Anyway, I have to check my memory on that, but I think that that is his name. And I think that was the name of the book. There are all kinds of doctors who write books about their professions. You can do due diligence and research on those areas and you don't need to, you know, have a uh, included in your textbook to go to the bookstore and ask, hey, do you have any books who are uh, by doctors who deal with, I don't know, pancreatic issues? You know, there's, there's bound to be somebody who has laid out their life story and you can get help finding that book. Librarians are just sitting there waiting for hungry young minds to come and ask them to help them find such hard to find books. That's what they do. And you're correct. That was Henry Marsh. I haven't actually read that yet. It's been on my list for a while. I got to get around to that one. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. It talked me out of becoming a brain surgeon, which I was never going to do. But, you know, it's <laughs> it's an incredible book. And he has another one, I, I believe, and I haven't uh, had a chance to check it out. But it's just a case in point. How many people just take the time to find out what doctors have been through their field and read their biographies? There's almost certainly a biography by everyone in those fields that can give you some hindsight. And if not, in America, they have these giant phone books just for doctors from your insurance company. And you can just go through them and call them up and say, hey, I would just love to have an information meeting about your profession. So because I'm a young medical doctor, probably 90% of established doctors would be overjoyed to help a younger person out. And there are almost certainly different biographies from yeah every specialty. I'm Actually, I got to look into that because I would not be too familiar with those myself, not being a huge biography buff, but definitely a good resource for students looking at certain specialties. But we've gone a little bit into the, the sort of the productivity type things, habit stacking, not going into too much discussion about that at the moment. But I know that something a lot of students ask about and something you also cover in your most, most recent book is just pre-planning. And that's even with your, your memory palaces, pre-planning certain images, preparing images and locations. So when you need them, you're not overly loaded. Your cognitive load is decreased. You can just pull from this sort of dictionary, a visual dictionary. Well, yeah. And now I'm realizing why I was so uh, interested in the in the thunder, because you sent me an email. It had something like polycythemia or something like that in it. I should open that up so we can look at it. It's exactly the kind of visual dictionary that you can build because when you have these words that you have to deal with, it's not just about the words, it's also about the, the pattern. So if you have something with a number of categories to it, you have to think about how it's going to lay out in a memory palace. And so your, your visual dictionary must include where you're going to place the associations. Because when you don't place associations, at least in my experience and in the experience of many, many other people, you don't have a point of reference for where to find those things. You're not able to ask the question, what was happening there? Such as, where is Chevy Chase on the corner of that card? If you don't have the card, you don't have the question, right? If you're meeting a person, then that person can be instantly the anchor point by just placing those images on their shoulders or whatever. But when you have something like the image that you sent me, which is got relative, is, am I saying that right? Polycythemia? Uh, polycythemia. And yeah, this 
chart just so people know it's really into the woods and uh, you don't get a whole lot of questions on this, but it's comparing relative polycythemia versus two types of absolute polycythemia. It's uh, something a lot of physiology textbooks will have a lot of comparable diseases and then a bunch of arrows going up, down, or side, side, showing no change. So I was just using this as an example of if you're approaching some topic like this and you need to know all of these minute differences between a lot of very similar diseases or processes, how would you attack this? That's where we're at now. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, this is a kind of a thing that is difficult to to teach in auditory ways and even to think about how to teach it. But let's just try it because probably the people listening to this will have had some experience with the memory palace. What you're going to want to do is if you look at any chart that has columns, you're going to need to have a wall in a memory palace and you're going to want to reproduce those columns on the wall. So what I'm looking at has uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, I guess I would call it six columns. No problem because you just divide the wall into six. Then you've got one, two, three, four horizontal columns. So in the top left, relative polycythemia. Is that polycythemia, yes. Uh, polycythemia, <laughs> polycythemia. So I caught myself there just on time because I remember when you said it as polysci, I thought, oh, that's what we used to call political science, polysci. So I was, caught myself a little bit there. But, you know, if I really wanted to nail that, I'm going to have to come up with something a little bit better than, you know, an abstract polysci because visual dictionary is not the way to think about this. It's got to be a multi-sensory dictionary, right? So relative polycythemia, I'm going to need something like maybe Einstein for the theory of relativity. And then I'll have maybe the police and I might then go, I still like polysci. So I'll have my favorite polysci professor whose name is not coming to me at the moment, but it started with, I want to say Summer Hayes, but that can't be right. But it was Summer something. Anyway, she, she taught polysci. And then Themia, well, we've got the perfect example right now because Thor is at your house banging on the, the, the roof, right? And that can be in the top left of the first column of a wall. Now, you don't necessarily have to do all six of these columns on the same wall, but we're still hanging up at the ceiling. And then we have this EPO that we've got to, got to deal with, right? So EPO, I'm already thinking of, you know, like EP, extended play records. Maybe it's shaped like a UFO or something like that. And now there's a bi-directional arrow underneath it. And then there's expected plasma volume. I would come back to the arrow later and just deal with the actual columns. Expected plasma volume. I'm thinking of Ghostbusters because there's a lot of plasma in that. Expectation, maybe the X-Men or like Wolverine X-Men doing an X to go through a ghost, so on. So we can go through all of this. But the idea is, is I'm going to stop myself from just being visual. I'm going to feel X-Men's or Wolverine's claws going through the plasma, right? And maybe he's turning up the volume for expected plasma volume after his blades go through the ghost, right? And feel that. And then the volume of what? Well, maybe there's some some music here, which we already suggested. Thunder from ACDC. Now, some people are going to say, well, won't I confuse myself? Because thunder is not themia. Well, isn't that song from ACDC a theme song? One of the most famous theme rock anthems of all time? And so on. So if you allow yourself to go with it, 
relax into it. Make sure that you have some sounds, some sights, some feelings, thrills, chills, and spills of every possible way premised on space on a wall. You're just going to think back to that top corner and you go, well, why was Einstein there? Relative. It must have to do with some word relative. You'll, you'll do so, so well. You just got to practice it though. And you got to remind yourself if you don't remember Einstein, then you have to think, well, why didn't I remember Einstein? And then maybe you have to have Einstein doing something nasty to one of your relatives, you know, with E equals MC squared or something like that, right? I'll leave that to your imagination. And then like myself, I caught myself there on time with the poli sci. But if you didn't, then you'd think, well, why not? Maybe you need to have some sort of image for science or a scientist that you know. And maybe you know a scientist who has a name that sounds like Psy or has S in it somehow. Something like that. Is that making sense? I think so. It might be difficult for the audience not seeing the chart, but basically it's like any physiologic comparison chart, like a question from physiology that we are very used to with you know, three to four, five, six, seven columns and just as many rows and you have all of these different things going on. So by taking all the different columns, we can remember the different types of differentiating factors that they're asking about. So in this particular example, EPO is different in all of the different sub genres of polycythemia. The expected plasma volume can change. The RBC mass can change. The oxygen saturation. So we're making all of these into columns on the wall, onto the memory palace. And then we're taking the rows, which in this case are the types of diseases, the subcategorized diseases, the relative polycythemia, appropriate absolute polycythemia, inappropriate absolute. Not that you have to memorize all this audience, but just so you kind of see what we're looking at. And then all of the words are converted into a mnemonic, a visual image to, to help remember what goes where. And once you have that, then it's much easier to, instead of rote memorizing this chart with all these up and down arrows, as some people do attempt to do, and sometimes we just don't cover the material enough to really fully comprehend uh, all of the ongoings. Uh, so we, I know we're supposed to understand, we're supposed to comprehend, but sometimes that can be difficult. So this is an alternative to doing that. We're still using memory, but something that's actually going to work and still kind of have fun doing it, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you will have fun. I just don't think that you premise it on fun. Yeah, fair uh, enough. That, that, just delay, that just delays diving in, getting your hands dirty. But the idea that, you know, you couldn't understand this in a visual sort of setting. In the FAQ section of the masterclass, I do this for people frequently when they have questions about this. And, you, you know, you can just, you can see it laid out in a much more visual medium there. But at the end of the day, what you just want to do is understand that space can be segmented in multiple ways. And there is nothing that I've ever seen in terms of a chart or a diagram that couldn't be segmented. And the difference is in my FAQ section, and even now, is that I'm not going to remember relative polycythemia or EPO or any of that stuff. I would only remember it if I went and I revisited the memory palace according to the patterns that get information into long-term memory. And the amount of repetitions is low relative to your multisensory engagement and your practice. So you'll be surprised by just how much staying power a lot of this stuff will have. I mean, I'm surprised that you told me that Henry Marsh is the author of that book. I just sort of threw that out there as a little memory test upon myself. But 
I did revisit his name according to the revisitation patterns and it works. It lasts. It, it just does. But the problem is, is that if you prem, if I were to say I needed to have fun in revisiting my memory palaces, I wouldn't have gone and given a TEDx from memory and I wouldn't be able to recite a hundred verses right now from Sanskrit that I've memorized for my meditations because fun doesn't have anything to do with it. It doesn't, if you need it to be fun, you're just setting the wrong goals. It can be fun and it will be fun, but that, that can't be it. And I haven't had fun every single step of the way. Top performers just simply do not make that a requirement. And I just feel like we have to put our foot down on that. And all the more so as we go into what's called zero latency internet. And what they're trying to do is make you stop thinking, stop having decisions and just follow what they want you to do, right? By removing the clicks, by removing any sort of critical thinking and whatnot. And so we've got to make a fight because they're trying to make it just a world of fun. That's called slavery. It's already here. So we need doctors and we need them to pay attention and we need them to have the right things in mind. And it cannot be that they are as sick as the patients. <laughs> and you brought up an interesting point there which is repetition, because that's a pushback that I get a lot is, well, it's going to take me so much longer to create these memory palaces. Uh, it takes me a long time to think up visual. I might as well just to my flashcard deck and go over the space repetition. What is, uh, what is your response? If you can get it into memory with, with spaced repetition decks and you have fun that way, if that's the key thing for you, that's fine. I can't myself do that. Not only because it's not fun, but because it's just a waste of time. It takes too long to sit there and look at it again and again and again. So maybe I am a fun addict. I don't know. But this blunt force hammering against my eyes to try to get something into memory, that's not going to happen. But if it works for you, I don't really have an argument against it. It's just that it's not working for a lot of people. There are alternatives that will be a lot more effective and they just need to be explored appropriately. I'm not, uh, not that interested in the, in the argument about, you know, well, it's faster or easier to do space repetition. I don't think it's faster. I don't think that you'll find any research studies that show that it's faster, but what you'll find is that if it's not working for you, there is an alternative. And that alternative is, is magisterial and near magical for the people who, who apply themselves to it. Yeah. I'm, back and forth on this because I find some things I do very well with flashcards and other things I've gone over multiple times and they just don't stick. So I sort of have a progression where I'll start with flashcards and if it doesn't stick by like the second or third or fourth repetition, depending on the complexity of it, then I'm definitely going to add a mnemonic to it if I haven't already. It's a pick your own battle kind of thing. I think what we're looking at is why would any tool be the tool for every single last thing, right? And when you use memory techniques, at least in my experience, even without adding spaced repetition softwares, which I've done some experiments with, with Chinese, but it just never pays off compared to just starting with mnemonics in the first place. But even then, even in language learning, the mnemonics are not the tool for every single last thing. There's so much that you can just remember almost naturally when you have a core base knowledge. You'll just pick things up. You'll associate them naturally without having to do any kind of pyrotechnics. And this comes from insight. And that may happen 
in medicine as well. And I'm sure it would because people go, oh, I, I've learned this fact about polycythemia. That connects with something else that I know. And you're already hitting the ground running. So it's really, really important and powerful to be able to just see the tools as being appropriate for certain tasks, but not requiring them to be the be all and the end all. Okay. I agree with that. Well, now we've sort of looked over the memory techniques. We've looked over some productivity things. And there's one more topic that you really express as very important for memory in your book, The Victorious Mind. And that is meditation. I know it's something you've spoken about a lot in the past. And I know you can go on for a very long time about it with all the information you have. But if you were to give maybe a, just a couple minute synopsis for a medical student audience here, what would be your tips and resources for that? Well, the number one thing is it's not meditation, but meditations. And that is a point that I try to make clear in the book. Now, just for spelling conventions, I just call the subtitle meditation as a singular thing, but it's it's a multiple thing. So sitting meditation, breathing meditation, walking meditation, stretching meditation, chanting meditation, etc. They all have different effects. Again, it's that sort of not one tool for all things, but multiple tools for multiple things. And so if you're going to get started, just start on the basis that it's a plural, not a singular, and try to stack it so that you're not trying to get everything from one thing, but rather you're getting a range of effects. So in my meditation, I do some memorization of particular texts. I do some chanting, reciting of it for the benefits that that brings. I do walking meditation. I do some journaling meditation and so on. And this has been really, really huge to bring them together, to have a variety of outcomes happen. And like anything, set some goals. So whatever you find in meditation, you may find some people, for example, that talk about having no mind. And if that sounds attractive to you, then, you know, set a goal for it. I never resonated with that for many years. But then one day I started to think that maybe I should revisit that idea of not having any thoughts. So I set the goal of having no thoughts. If that's possible, could I achieve it? And then you just make little mini missions and you sit down and do it. So whatever your goal is, is really important. Now for medical people, what would be a goal there? I would suggest studying in a stress-free way, one where your mind doesn't get all chattery and, you know, oh, I have to have fun kind of talk because that's not going to help you, I don't think. Uh, I could be wrong about that. But, you know, a lot of that stuff about, well, I don't feel motivated. This is head trash. This is your monkey mind going blah, 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 instead of the other mind, which is this is what needs to be done. Let's get it done. You know, so you could have a goal of I'm going to reduce my what's called a SRIN, S-R-I-N, self-referential inner narrative. Going to reduce it. So I just don't have so much head trash of like, well, I have to have fun today or else I'm not going to be happy. And the meditations for that just start with simply sitting just to sit, working on your breathing, stretching. And you might want to memorize some of the things that I memorized because they've really helped me get out of my own way and not have, like I used to have endless inner dialogue about, you know, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that or, oh, I better apologize for this. Typical Canadian saying sorry for everything, but worse, like to the OCD level of apologetic conversations in my head, just madness. And uh, 
reducing my inner dialogue or SRIN has been huge, hugely rewarding. And I'll bet you it would reward every medical student out there to not have a committee in their head while they're trying to study. And then you might get more out of your space repetition software if mnemonics are not for you. And you'll definitely get more out of mnemonics because you'll be more focused in the moment and you'll just look at that word and you'll go, oh, yeah, there is a TH in there. I'll think of Thor and get on with it. I like that self-referential inner narrative. That's a good one. I'm going to keep yeah. keep that in mind. Well, there is no self there to refer to, right? There's just this noise, blah, 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 blah. This I that you think is there is always changing and it's it's mostly illusion. Thoughts about things that are just simply not important. They're just not. And so getting rid of that has been my number one goal. I still have it to a certain degree, but I've been free of it. And it's, it is the most exquisite experience that I've just devoted the rest of my time. And I believe me, I don't have fun meditating every day or getting myself to meditate every day, but it is the prime goal. Goodbye, S-R-I-N and good riddance. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have covered quite a bit of material here. I think we have a lot of guidelines and tools for students to use so far. Obviously, there's a lot more that they can learn. If they want to know more about you and your courses, where can they find out more? Well, I would just say start with the free course. Come to magneticmerrymethod.com just to register for that, or you'll have a link for that perhaps. At the end of the day, it's a free course, but please understand that you need to take action on what's being said there and pay attention to what's being said there because it is something where you will get tremendous results. And sometimes people say, well, I saw that you made an offer on a paid course and I didn't, then I stopped paying attention or whatever. And it's just, it's mind boggling to me. The whole point of the free course is so you get results and that you are either happy to go off on your own from forevermore, or if you're interested, you want more, but I would never give away something that wasn't going to give you results in the first place. And it's just, a sign of our times that people turn down gifts that are just given to them. And please don't be like that. Please take it seriously. It's a simple exercise that is broken out over four videos that will, you know, allow you to hit the ground running with these techniques. And it's just as simple as one to two minutes to create a memory palace following certain principles to just save so many people. I have more testimonials than I have time to post just making it as optimized as possible from the beginning and from the experience of someone myself who made every possible mistake or at least many of the possible mistakes. And I just would love for people to, to not have to hit those mistakes themselves because it's not necessary. Uh, You can hit the ground running. So we'll definitely have a link in the show notes for that as well. And Anthony Mativier, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Chase. Great to speak. One great way to excel in your studies is to download our free PDF of study skills, memory techniques, and other fun tools that you can implement right away and begin accelerating your education. Go to freemeded.org medstudent to download our free essentials guide for Read This Before Medical School. You can also purchase the full book with all of our tips, tools, and advice. Read This Before Medical School at your bookstore of choice. And if you've already done that, please do leave a review at freemeded.org slash book review.